Amen. On that wall. Well, we're in our doctrinal delicacies one more time. This is it, and I believe we're done with doctrinal delicacies. And uh, so uh, tonight we're going to be addressing another topic that is uh, tasty, if you will, doctrinally speaking. And, uh, you know, if you go get a delicacy, it's usually pretty good, pretty scrumptious. Well, guess what? There's some doctrinal delicacies, too. They taste pretty good. They're all right. And tonight we're going to be addressing one of those issues tonight as we move along here and complete and finish our series. Now, as a believer in Christ, you know, our faith in the Lord has guaranteed us an eternal home in heaven. 
there's no uh, if, ands, or buts about that. We don't have to be concerned or worried about where we're going to spend eternity. That's settled in heaven, and that's settled by the grace and the, the mercy of our God, and we're so grateful for that and thankful for that. Uh, we are, however, saved to serve. We're not saved to sit and sour or soak. We're saved to do something for Jesus Christ, amen? And uh, with that said, how we live our life will determine how eternity goes to some degree. Now, again, we're saved, yes. But the fact is, is that we're going to give an account for what we've done since we've trusted the Lord, since we've been saved. And so tonight, we want to trust, uh, should, excuse me, let me just slow down a little bit. We want to address this issue of the judgment seat of Christ. And we're just going to look at it real quick. And I know some would say, well, I know all about that. I got that one figured out. And, well, we're going to take a pop quiz right now. And I'm going to randomly call people. And we're just going to see how much you know about it. Okay? I'm not going to do that. But some of you got real nervous. Some of you got real nervous there, didn't you? And you got thinking, oh, great. Oh, you better not call on me. That's proof positive that we can all learn something tonight. Okay? We can all at least be familiarized or be reminded about something that maybe we learned in the past that it would be good to be reminded of. So at least we can be reminded. So let's not lose, uh, uh, you know, fall asleep tonight. Let's not kind of sit back and relax too much. Let's go ahead and really open our hearts and maybe try to glean and maybe be encouraged to think that our Lord Jesus Christ could come back any moment. And at that point, we're going to be in a position where, well, we're going to give an account. And we want to be ready for that. And so we're going to look at this aspect of the judgment seat of Christ in our last of our series and doctrinal delicacies. Before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for another evening that we have to gather in your house. Lord, churches across the country are closing their doors in the evenings. Father, a number of churches have Father decided that the evening services are not profitable any longer, that no one really cares to come. And the fact is, is that all we're doing is wasting heat and electric, turning all the lights and heat on. And that, Lord, there's not enough people that care to truly put forth the effort to prepare and ready ourselves as preachers and men of God even. Lord, I'm glad tonight that gathered in this place are a group of people that not only love you, but have proven their love by being in a place where they can glean from your word and, Father, honor you by listening and learning and ultimately applying your truths. Father, may you bless us tonight. We seek only to honor you. And Lord, as we see the day approaching, may we be even more diligent to meet and to gather and to encourage one another as your blessed word teaches. Father, we'll thank you and praise you for that. Now, may we, Father, learn something tonight or at least be reminded of something that will encourage our lifestyle for you, cause us to be consecrated, separated unto thee more fully, completely. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what will be accomplished in our hearts and our lives tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> it's hard to believe this is the last Sunday of 2014, isn't it? To think this is it. I mean, we've gone all year and now here we are on the brink of 2015. Some of these young people and youngsters in here look at life and they say, wow, you know, we got all kind of time. You know, they think 20 years, 30 years is a long time. And it seems like a long time when you're only 10 or 15 or even 22 or 23, 4 or 5. 20 years seems like a lifetime and it has been a lifetime for them. But unfortunately, 20 years goes pretty quick. 
It was just it was just a little over 20 years ago the Community Baptist Temple started. I sat this morning out uh, in the back of the Lake Senior Center. <clears throat> I said, Lord, help me to recapture the passion that I had 20 years ago right here. It's just amazing how time goes. And you think about what's transpired and taken place, and it's as though it just took place. And you know, as we look at our lives, you know, we could all probably point to times in our life and say, well, boy, I, I, that seemed like such a long time ago. And it is a long time ago. Jesus could come back any moment. He really could. But even if He doesn't, let me tell you, our lives will be over before we can blink. Before we know it, we'll be facing the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we need to be prepared. We need to be ready. Who will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ? Well, before we even talk about the judgment seat, who will be judged? Well, the Bible teaches us that everybody's going to be judged. I mean, everyone. Not just... Uh, the saved, not just the lost, but everyone. And I somehow left all my verses back on the copy machine. I, I don't have a printer that works good, so I've been using a copy machine, and I always forget to stop there on my way in. But it doesn't matter. So in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 27, take your Bible, if you would, turn there, please. Hebrews nine 27. I'll do my best to fly through these uh, and try to find them faster than the normal human being but I don't think I'll do a very good job of it. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Notice what the Bible says here. It says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Again, it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. That includes everyone. Everyone included. No changes, right? I remember when we as kids, we used to race to the car. Yes, sir. That'd be great. Thank you, brother buddy. We used to race to the car. And uh, we'd be, uh, uh, I don't know where we'd be. It didn't matter really where we were. Thank you. Everything turned into a competition with me and my brothers. And uh, of course, the younger ones always lost. And we made sure of that. But the fact was, is we would take off running, and we'd be running, and we'd say, all right, first one of the car, last one of the car is a rotten egg. Everybody included, no changes. Because, you know, if you didn't say that, then they would change the rules in the middle of the run, you know. So we'd say, everybody included, no changes. And we'd take off running, we'd tap the car, and then we'd be, ha, 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 you're a rotten egg, you know, and we'd go crazy. You know what, when it comes to judgment, everybody included, no changes. Everyone everyone's going to be judged. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 13 and 14, the Bible says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Everyone will be judged. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 29, verse 26, the Bible says, Many seek the ruler's favor, but every man's judgment cometh from the Lord. And God will judge every man, every woman, every boy and girl in that sense. Every last one of us will ultimately stand before God. So there's going to be a judgment that takes place. Now, that we're all going to be judged, but not necessarily at the same place at the same time. We have the believer who will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. And again, we've discussed these things in the past and we've, we've, we've spoken of them. Maybe you've taken some sense of discipleship or Christian training and you've understood that and you've been taught those things. But the judgment seat of Christ is exclusively mentioned in the epistles. 
In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, uh, we, 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 we note the Bible simply teaches us that for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And then also in the book of Romans, chapter 14, verse 10, the Bible says, But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Don't misunderstand what that passage is teaching, by the way. Judgment begins in the house of God, the Bible says. Amen. You ever read that? It's funny how we take that, con- that verse and we take it out of context and we say that we don't have a right to, to, to set up any type of moral standard in the church or moral standard in or code for Christianity. It's as though the Ten Commandments have been thrown out the window. It's as though because we now live in a quote, the New Testament, those, those moral laws that God established and put in place are no longer valid. The moral laws did not go away. As a matter of fact, they're all restated with the exception of the Sabbath. Amen. Isn't that interesting? And yet as believers somehow, this thing we call liberty today has totally discarded all moral law. Now someone says, well, no, we understand that murder's wrong. We understand that this is wrong. We understand that's wrong. But who decides which is wrong and what's right then if every Christian has a right to determine that on their own? Who decides that? And again, I think biblically and scripturally we'll find that God outlines some things that are just downright wrong for a believer, some things that are right. Not everything is thus saith the Lord. A number of things are principles that we have to, have to identify and ultimately adhere to. If I base my life on only thus saith the Lord's, I could do a lot of things that are probably certainly not Christian. A lot of things. God does not say thou shalt not gamble on a Cleveland Browns football game. Although you'd be stupid to do that, unless you were gambling against them. But you know what I'm saying, it doesn't say things like that. But nonetheless, we have to be careful. Notice again the believer, the judgment seat of Christ, it's, an ex- it's exclusively mentioned in the, in the epistles. What's that mean then? The epistles were written to who? To the church. Therefore, it's a church doctrine. Therefore, the judgment seat of Christ applies to the church. And we're not talking about the church in, in general, we're not talking about everybody that calls themselves the church. We're talking about those who are in the church biblically and scripturally. And you're, you're placed into the body of Christ or into the church based on your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So everyone that names the name of Christ, everybody that's been born again, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, will stand at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. The Apostle Paul is very clear even in his passage here in Corinthians. For we, he says, must all appear. We. Again, we referring to believers, Christians. Himself, along with those who he had the privilege of ministering to, and in many cases, probably leading to Christ. We. And this judgment is only for those who have faith in Christ. And that's what we notice there about the judgment seat of Christ, that it is exclusively for the believer. The unbeliever, however, will be judged as well. Because we know we're all going to be judged. We already established that biblically and scripturally. Everyone will be judged. The believer at the judgment seat of Christ. The unbeliever, the Bible shows us the great white throne. Take your Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 20, would you please? Chapter 20, verse 11. We're going to read through verse 15. 
The Bible says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. The books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, death and hell uh, delivered up the dead which were in them. They were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now here we find that in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 and 12, we, we notice that all unbelievers from every age will be present for this particular judgment. They're going to stand before God and give an account. The Bible even teaches us that death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire. Every person that's ever lived will be judged by God. And if they're lost, if they're unbelievers, if they've not put their faith in Christ, if they've not allowed themselves to be um, addressed that issue, then they're going to stand before God at the great white throne. Now, the final judgment will leave no hope for escape. If you have failed to receive and accept Christ in this dispensation, in this age in which we live, there will be no escaping the lake of fire. None. None whatsoever. It's over. I don't care what, what movies you've watched. And there's a ton of them out there. All them, them movies, you know, about the raptures. And, I, I, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. You know, do what you want. Say what you want. But I've got Netflix. And uh, you say, oh, you've got Netflix? Yes, I do. Thank you very much. And if you have a bigger TV I can watch it on, let me know. <laughs> but the fact is, is that there's all these shows on Netflix. That, that, and I, I like to watch, I, I'm, I'm bad about it, but I like to watch these, these religious shows on there, you know? And a lot of them show the rapture. And it's really weird how they show the rapture a lot of times. It's really crazy. It's unscriptural. It's unbiblical. But they show all kind of crazy things. And then, then at the end, of course, everybody always has another chance to get saved. They're always getting a chance to get saved after that. I mean, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I don't think it's in the Bible really. I've, I've, I've learned differently that I've watched some of these shows. Because, you know, it doesn't matter whether they love the truth or they didn't love the truth. None of that even matters. Everybody gets a second chance. Everybody goes, man, I was wrong. I should have listened to my wife that's no longer here. I'm going to tell you something. You miss it, and you've heard a presentation of the gospel, and the Holy Spirit of God spoken to your heart. I'm going to tell you something. If you've rejected it, if you did not love the truth, oh, you had the truth, you've heard it, but if you didn't love it, you're done. Right. You're done. Your goose is cooked. Don't think you're going to get another chance. You're not. You're going to believe the lie. You're going to, the God's going to send a strong delusion according to 2 Thessalonians, and you will believe the lie. So the Bible teaches right in there. And that final judgment, when you stand before God, it doesn't matter how remorseful you seem. It doesn't matter how, how much you wish you would have trusted Him. It doesn't matter how many times you say, I'm sorry, it won't matter, it won't be enough. You're going to be cast into the lake of fire. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, the Bible says, But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. We already saw that whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Is your name in the book of life? 
It only gets there by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And He died for you and He loved you so much that He gave Himself on your behalf. But if you don't put your faith in Christ now and you choose to hold on and Jesus Christ comes back and takes His children out and you're left behind, you will take the mark of the beast and you will be cast in the lake of fire. Everybody in this room knows better. You know better. You're not, you're not in the, the deep, darkest regions of Africa running around trying to figure out who God is based on the stars and based on the sky and based on creation and your conscience. You've heard the gospel. You know the truth. And if you know the truth and you've heard the gospel, I've got to believe that the God of heaven has brought some conviction in a life at some point and you've just downright rejected him. Don't think you're going to get another chance. Go ahead. Go ahead and believe that junk. Go ahead and save up every tape you can find every 8-track, every cassette, every single DVD and video you can find. I don't care every message you've heard some charismatic preacher preach on the fact you'll have another opportunity to be saved during the tribulation. You could care less about those tapes and those, those things whenever the tribulation kicks off and the rapture takes place. You'll care less. You'll shake your fist at God like everybody else. You'll still wonder, what in the world's going on around here? You'll believe the lie. You'll believe the lie. You say, how do you know that? How many Christians voted for our last president after they saw a first term of disaster? And still, still, people that claim to be Christians voted for a man who had no Christian morals. You tell me you're not going to fall for the lies and the deception of Satan himself? Oh, I would never do that. Okay, whatever. That's fine. Go ahead and believe that lie. Preacher, you're being nasty. The truth hurts. It gets nasty sometimes. I'm not saying it nasty, though. At least I'm being kind saying it. But they say I'm doing it in Christian love. You ever been told you're wrong by somebody that really cares about you? How's it feel? Still hurts, don't it? I don't like being told I'm wrong. I don't care if they love me or not. I hate it. I like to be right. But you know what? The Bible, every time we look at it, we realize there's areas we need to straighten up and we need to deal with. This judgment takes place 1,000 years after the judgment seat of Christ. In the book of Revelation chapter 20, verse 7, we see it says, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. So we're going to see that the judgment seat of Christ takes place, and then a 1,000 years later, the great white throne takes place. So everyone's going to be judged. The believer will be judged. You and I in this dispensation will be judged at the, the judgment seat of Christ. The unbeliever will face the judgment at the great white throne. So what will the nature of the judgment seat of Christ be? What will be the nature of it? Well, first of all, you and I aren't going to be judged for our sin. That's already been addressed. It's already been dealt with. Thank God that Jesus Christ paid for our sin already. Amen? Amen. And so we're not going to face God in our sin, okay? That's, that's one thing. Um, the Bible tells us in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. For he hath made him to be sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
Isn't that, that wonderful? That, I love that passage. Don't you like that passage? 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him, the Lord Jesus, to be sin for us. Isn't that good? You talk about substitution. Stand up, brother, would you? Yeah, stand up. Just right there. The Bible says he made him to be sin for us. So literally, I'm sin. He made him to be sin for us. All eyes on him now, not on me any longer. He was crucified, he bled, he died, he suffered, and there he died and was buried and rose again. You may sit down. Listen, all eyes are on him now, not me. My sin won't be remembered anymore. My sin's gone. He was made sin for me. He took my place. He became my advocate. He took my place, and he took your place on Calvary, our rightful place. So we're not going to be judged for our sin. However, as we mentioned earlier, our works, or what we've done from the time we've been saved to the time we meet with the Lord, will be, will be held accountable. We are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe that tonight? Amen. Do you believe you're a servant of the Lord Jesus or should be? I don't think you do. Because you're not very vocal about it today. Again, I said this morning, you're a terrible junior church. <clears throat> If you really think about this for a minute, what, what does a servant do? We say serves. That's true. But he basically does whatever the master says. Yeah. Now listen. If the master says to sit, he sits. The master says to run, he runs. If the master says do nothing, then doing nothing is serving. It doesn't matter what it is. Whatever God says is what? servant what the servant should do the bible doesn't say that you're a servant when you choose to be the fact is is we're all servants already the question is whether you're an obedient servant or you're a rebellious one that's the reality of life as a believer we're already servants what kind of servant are you are you really obedient are you willing to do whatever god says anytime he says wherever whatever he says that's what we'll be judged for. In the judgment seat of Christ, that's where it all falls. You know, we like to get caught up in, did you, did you go to church this many times? Did you read your Bible? Did you pray? Did you do this? Did you do that? Listen, those are all things that God asks His servants to do. But hold on. The fact is, is whatever He's asking you to do. I mean, maybe you're sitting in church tonight and God wanted you to be overseas on the mission field. Guess what? You're not a very good servant. I don't care how much you give. I don't care how much time you spend. It doesn't matter how much you do for God. Because really, you're doing it for you. Because you're not really obeying the God who said you're a servant. You're doing your own thing. Not what He wants you to do. So what kind of servants that make you? Pretty poor servant then. I mean, a servant that doesn't obey the Master isn't a very good servant at all. Am I correct? Right. Right. Amen. Just because we do things that we believe mean that we're good servants doesn't mean that God says that's what is a good servant. If John says, preacher, I'll serve you, do whatever, I'll, I'll be your servant. And I say, John, I want you to clean out the church van this week. And John says, hmm, all right. And he runs and he cleans the bathroom. And he sweeps and cleans the whole church. And he gets every single bus, and they're spotless. 
And I go over there and I jump in the van and I go, it's filthy. John, did you clean the van like I asked you? Well, I just saw how dirty those buses were and I realized that the bathroom needed cleaning. The church, I mean, a million people are going to be coming into the church and I just felt that it was more important that I do the church than, than, I, than I clean the van. Let me ask you, everybody please help me with this. What kind of servant to me is John? Is he, is he a, a good servant? Is he, is he a good servant in my eyes? For me? No. Why? Because he didn't do what I asked him to do. Oh, he did what he wanted to do. He did what he thought was best. He even did what he thought I would appreciate most. But he didn't do what I asked him to do. Guess what? At the judgment seat of Christ, you're not going to be judged based on what you think God would want you to do or what you feel God would have you do or, or what you thought was serving God. No, you're going to be judged on whether you were a good servant. That's where the judgment comes. See, that's a matter of the heart now. To be honest with you, there are Muslims that are much more faithful to their God than Christians are. They're much more faithful in their service to their God. But they're serving the wrong master. It doesn't matter how faithful you are in service. It's whether or not you're being obedient to the master and serving as he is directed. A young man... It doesn't even matter. I'm going to skip that and move on. So what will be the nature of the judgment seat of Christ? This right here, works. But what works? The works of Christ, the ones He's shared with us, the one He's given to us, the one He's directed us to do. And yeah, in the Bible, there's a number of things that are clearly outlined, but then there's those elements of our life as we move forward. Are we obedient to God? 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. We're going to touch on this very quickly and move to the last point. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. So we talk about the judgment seat of Christ and, and what will be expected. And, and this is probably, this is the definitive passage. It's, it's just so awfully clear here and outlines for us uh, what God and how God will hold us accountable. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. <clears throat> he says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ. Before we move any further, notice here again, there's a foundation that no man can lay than that is laid. It's already laid. It's already been provided. And that foundation is none other than what? Right. So that means the foundation is a person. Remember the other day, I, I was explaining or I was trying to share with you the fact that, that um, when, when Simeon saw Christ, he held in his arms salvation. It wasn't just a baby. Christ is salvation. <clears throat> it's, not, it's not the Romans road. Although the Romans road helps us find salvation. Knowing the Romans road, quoting the Romans road, saying the Romans road will not get us to heaven. You have to literally embrace a person, Jesus. He alone is salvation. He is salvation. You know, we misunderstand what the relationship is. You know, salvation is a personal relationship with the Lord. Well, it's as simple as this. Do you possess Christ? That's salvation. Do you have the person, Jesus? Because if you don't, you're not saved. I don't care how religious you are or how faithful you are in memorizing or doing whatever you choose to do. It's a person. And here we find here, right off the bat as we begin this discourse on the, the, the judgment seat, 
He says, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid. It's already there. It's been provided. It's already established and in place, which is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. There is no other foundation. That, that means, therefore, anything else, anything we build our lives on other than Him is not foundation. It's sand. It's sinking sand. I, it doesn't, again, it doesn't matter how, how solid it seems to you. There are, ton, there are scores of young men and ladies today coming out of our churches, so-called fundamental churches, that have not understood nor learned or grasped or comprehended this reality. They still believe that if they go to college and get a good education and have a good paycheck and everything's, and they've got the things that the world says are success, that they will have a foundation to build on. And they'll still go to church and read their Bible and pray. But, but Christ isn't the real foundation. I mean, He's part of it, but He's not everything. No, He is the only foundation. Amen. If you don't build your life around Him, then you are excluding Him. If you're building your life, including God in your life, then you have excluded God in your life. He is either the foundation or he, you are on no foundation at all. Prepare for the fall. Note here in the passage a couple of things. Again, the foundation is Christ already. We noted that there. Your works after salvation are in question. We saw that. And we understand by verse 12 that God's keeping pretty good record here. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, he's keeping pretty good record. Works will be made manifest, the Bible says. That means they'll be made known. There's no secret things that day. Everything's visible. Everything's open. There's no hiding anything. He goes on to tell us, notice verse 13, For every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sword it is. That's kind of where we got to just a minute ago. A faithful servant does exactly what the master says. What's the sword of your work? Is it a faith work or is it a flesh work? Much of what we do today in our world, in our, our lives, even in our ministries, is flesh work. Most of what we do. You know how that's evidenced? You know how, how, how I know that? Because think about how little time we really spend in prayer. Think about how little time we spend praying about things we think are just insignificant. And that, well, you just have to do something, so you just do it. I've told the story before, but there was a college professor that I had. He was an assistant to Pastor Bruce Cummins for a number of years. His name was Jay Dolvin, Brother Jay Dolvin. Brother Jay Dolvin prayed one time for a whole year whether he should cut his hair a certain way or not because he didn't want to draw attention to himself. 
Someone says, that's foolish. That's, that's ignorant. That's stupid. He didn't, he, he, his life was proof positive. There was an element of his life very clear that he was living by faith, not by flesh. He didn't just do it because, well, that's, you know, I think it will be great. My wife thought it might be nice, and I think I could look a little better with my hair cut that way. No, he said, God, I'm going to pray and ask you, do you want me to cut my hair this way? Because I don't want to do anything to take away from you. I don't want to take anything away from my pastor. I don't want to take anything away from the ministry. I want to make sure that it's not me that's being elevated. I don't want to draw any attention to self. Lord, it has to be you. Will you let me? Won't you? I'm going to say something. You don't have to agree with me. But I think we ought to pray a little bit more about whether we grow beards, whether we wear earrings, whether we dress certain ways, the places we go and the things we do. I think we ought to pray about some of these things. I know they seem insignificant. You say, well, there's nothing unscriptural about a beard. And you're right, there isn't. Jesus had his plucked out, so obviously he had one. But think about it. Is it really just about what I want? Whether it's a beard whether it's a, a new hairstyle, whether it's a brand new car, whatever it might be. When's the last time we really took the time to pray about things because we're concerned that it might not fit in God's plan or that others may misunderstand it? I'm just saying, at the judgment seat of Christ, God's going to look at our life and we're going to be judged based on our heart. Not just what we did, was it right or wrong, but why did we do what we did? Think about that for a minute. Christian life, if we're not careful, becomes a set of rules and regulations. And so we live based on what can I do, what can I get away with, what can I? God never intended us to live that way. God intended us to be so dependent on Him that we say, God, what do you want? I don't want anything but what you want. Isn't that how it ought to be? And at the judgment seat of Christ, that's how we'll be judged. That's the heart God's looking for at the judgment. So when does this judgment seat take place? Let's just jump to that so that I can get out of here without being hung. (laughs) This is a fun part here. Let me ask you something. You, You men that are married... You ever talk to your wives about things that I'm just talking about? You just sit and talk to her about spiritual things, right, wrong, or indifferent, just kind of throwing. I mean, just you, is that ever a part of your conversation at all? It ought to be. We ought to talk to our spouses about things that matter to God and to us concerning our relationship with the Lord. That, that's that's important stuff right there. But you know, in most cases. We live separate lives in our spiritual lives. We go our own direction. You have your prayer, you have your prayer. You have your devotion, you have your devotion. You have your service, you have your service. You have your, 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 your communication with brothers and sisters, you have your communication. I mean, everything's separate. If we're not careful, we, go, we, kinda, we run parallel. Don't misunderstand me. We're running parallel. How can, two be together, how can two walk together except they be agreed? Well, we're agreed on things, so we're walking together, but... Are we really as close as we ought to be? How important are spiritual things to you? Are they important enough that you talk about them? 
in the privacy of your own home with somebody that's the closest one in your life to you? Sometimes I think it's easier to talk to strangers about those things than it is those that are closest to us. But it shouldn't be that way. Because if it's important to us, we ought to make it important. And others in our home ought to see that and experience it firsthand. I just want to encourage you to think about that. When's the last time you thought about a passage in the Scripture and literally talked to your wife about it or your husband about it and said, man, I was reading this and man, I, I don't know. I, I f- kind of feel like maybe this. You say, well, wh- what if I'm wrong? Who cares? Maybe she's got a good answer. Maybe he's got a good answer. Maybe the two of you can come up with a good answer. Maybe you can find some Scripture on it. Maybe it just draws you closer, gives you something to talk about other than what's going on in the kids' lives for a change who won't be there forever anyway. But Jesus will, and as long as you're alive, you can share them together. Well, I'm getting all philosophical tonight, aren't I? We better close this thing out. Here, let's look at it. Let's get practical. Go ahead, fellas. Help me out. Wake up back there, fellas. Okay, guys, you can turn it on. Go ahead, fellas. You can turn it on. Hey, they know it's on. I'm over here trying to pretend it ain't. There, I'm trying to get them in trouble back there. All right, here we go. Big events on God's calendar. When's this going to take place? <clears throat> well, let's go ahead and look at it real quick. We got a little timeline there. Now, what I want to do is this. If I'd have somebody that would read uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 for me. Who'll read that? Okay, Mr. Jurgen, if you would, that'd be great. And then, of course, we've already read 1 Corinthians three eleven through 15, so we're set there, but... Who will read Revelation 19, 11 through 14? Okay, brother, you're right in front here too. So here's what I'm going to do. Uh, brother, if you would, would you read right now Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 and 2? Now, let me set the setting now. Revelation chapter 4 is on the heels of what we would call the church age because we have chapters 2 and 3 again of uh, Revelation that deal with the, the church. Now, these were literal, seven literal churches, okay? Seven literal churches. But they're also representative of a church age or dispensation in time. And so we're going to see that at the end of that chapter 3, at the beginning of chapter 4, something transpires and takes place. Mr. Jurgen. After this I looked, and behold, the door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which thou must, which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, the throne was set in heaven, and one that sat on the throne. Amen. So what we have here is John again. Remember John. John, if you uh, go you know, in your, your studies of your, your Bible, you're going to find that he's representative of the church, okay? Uh, you've got Paul, uh, who's the apostle of the Gentiles. You've got Peter, who's the apostle to the Jew. And you've got John, who's representative of the church. Now here at the end of those two chapters, chapter 2 and 3, we have John. Uh, who is now uh, being taken up in the Spirit. He, it's interesting the, the terminology that's used here in chapter 4 when he says he heard, as it were, a trumpet talking with him. And then, boom, he's gone. He's up. Well, he's represented the church being raptured out, okay, at the end of the church age. Now, that's where it takes place in the book of Revelation. It's in chapter 4. The rapture of the church takes place there. So we have the cross. 
We have the resurrection. We have the church age right here. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis. We have Philadelphia and Laodicea. And then, of course, we have the rapture. This is taking place at Revelation chapter 4. Right here we see it with John again being taken out. He hears the trumpet, reminiscent of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18 as well. And so we, we note that transpiring and taking place. Then, then we have what's going on here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, on the earth, um, we have the tribulation taking place. Three and a half years, tribulation, three and a half, great tribulation. We have the tribulation period. But you'll notice above that, taking place not on earth, but in the heavens, we have the judgment seat of Christ. That's where we read in the book of Revelation chapter, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So we have Revelation chapter 4 there. In Revelation, bam, all of a sudden, John's out. Church is out, so to speak, representative of it, the rapture of the church. The tribulation kicks off. While the tribulation is taking place on earth, the judgment seat of Christ is taking place in heaven. And then we have Revelation chapter 19. Go ahead and read those verses, please, 11 through 14. All right, thank you. That's good right there. Thank you very much. So what we have here now, notice here in uh, chapter, in verse 11, I saw heaven opened. Now here's chapter 19 of Revelation. Back here in chapter 4, we saw heaven opened again uh, earlier. Behold, a door was opened in heaven. So now, the second time we see the door opened in heaven, it's not the church going out as it was in chapter 4 of Revelation. It's the church coming back. And that's what we have on our timeline here. We have the tribulation and we have the judgment seat of Christ taking place simultaneously during that same period of time. The first time, chapter 4 of Revelation, we find the rapture. But now, we have the return of Christ in chapter 19 of Revelation. And now, who's coming back? We are, with Christ. For what purpose? We see Armageddon, of course, the fierceness of His wrath. We see there's going to be a major battle that takes place. Of course, the Lord's going to speak. It'll be handled. You know, I don't really have to do a whole lot of fighting myself, even though I'm quite worthy and handy of it, pretty good at it. But I won't have to do any of that. You, you hurt me when you doubt me like that. But nonetheless, the fact is, is, that, is that we're going to come back and we're going to be following the Lord Jesus Christ and He's going to open His mouth and it'll be a sword that goes out, wipes out the opposition immediately. It's going to be a pretty, pretty fast, uh, pretty quick battle say the least. And we're coming back with him. And then we find at that point the millennium kicks off. The thousand year reign. We're going to rule and reign with Christ according to Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. We're going to rule and reign. And uh, that's going to be a great time. And uh, of course following that we have 
the great white throne. So we have the, judge, we have the, the church age and then the rapture, Revelation 4, 4. We have the tribulation taking place, the judgment seat, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 through 15, taking place at the same time. We then have Revelation 19, the second time the door from heaven is opened, and we have the, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to the revelation, and he'll show himself there. And then the millennium kicks off. And then after that thousand years, according to Revelation chapter 20, verse 7, we, we, we find here the great white throne judgment now. And so that's the timeline. That's how it works. And that's the situation. And, of course, following that, we have a new heaven, new earth, and all those new things that, that the Bible talks about later on in chapter 21 and 22. Okay, so, so that's, that's where it all fits. That's where it all takes place. And uh, um, we, we're, there's, a, there's a judgment coming. And uh, thanks, gentlemen. And the fact is, is, that, is that we're all going to face the Lord Jesus Christ one way or the other. We're going to face him at the judgment seat of Christ or we're going to face him at the great white throne. Um, praise the Lord, I'll, I'll face him at the judgment seat of Christ. And yet, there's still going to be an accountability factor. What sort of work? What kind of servant are you to the master today? I mean, really think about it. Are you obedient? I read my Bible and pray, preacher. I know, but when you're at the gas pump and the Lord tells you to pass a track out, What kind of servant are you? Because that's what we're really going to be judged on. That right there. God help us tonight. Doctrinal delicacies. What a tremendous truth we find in the judgment seat of Christ. Applicable, applicable to all of us. And God help us to be the kind of believer we ought to be, the kind of servant we ought to be. If you're lost tonight, you need to settle it. You need to get saved. You need to let Jesus Christ pay for your sin place you in the family of God, give you a home in heaven. And if you're already his child, then let's start making preparation to be the servant we ought to be so when we face him, we'll not be ashamed. It's the book of First, Second John t- teaches us there. We're not ashamed of his coming. Father, we love you. We are thankful again for the opportunity that we have to gather.